Attention, all troops. She's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Reprolet. Now I know some of the people listening to the show have children. And I know that some of their children are listening to the show. I know there's probably at least two or three out of the five people who listen to the show. And I want to talk to them a little bit about this whole vampire craze that's going on right now. Now, you might get a little freaked out one day because your kid will come home and be dressed like a vampire. Or they'll want to read about vampires all the time. You might think, this is weird. These kids are so odd. But this, of course, is nothing new. Back in the 80s... I had a lot of normal friends, and just like any other kids, they went through lots of different phases. They would see a movie or a TV show, and they'd want to emulate those people. The movie The Lost Boys, completely off my radar. I didn't know about it until it came out. When I went and saw it, I enjoyed it, but there were people who really enjoyed it. In fact, about a month and a half after the movie came out, a lot of the people started dressing like the characters in the movie, which... I thought was the strangest thing in the world. And so I would ask them, what's with the new look? And they didn't want to say it right away. They kind of wanted to pretend that they were in that world, I guess. Because it took a lot of prodding to get them to say, oh, this is sort of my homage to the Lost Boys. They didn't use that language. Now, a lot of the kids nowadays are dressing up as vampires. A lot of black, with their hair long, very pale. It's an odd look, but... Have you seen the characters in The Lost Boys? The best that people in my neck of the woods could hope for was to stay out of the sun and to grow their hair long. But growing their hair long meant growing their hair long in the back. So we had a whole bunch of mulleted vampires for about two years. Some of them even held on to that look even longer. So despite how weird your friends may look, despite how weird your kids might look, they are so much cooler than the vampire wannabes of my generation. And I wonder if in the 30s, when the original Dracula came out, if parents and friends were going through the same thing. Kids walking around in capes, hair slicked back, doing that thing with their hand that Bela Lugosi does. I just don't know. I do know it's a fad, and just like all fads, it'll pass. In the meantime, because of the loyalty I have to my youth, I would just like to proudly say that I am a member of Team David. To get that reference, of course, you have to have seen The Lost Boys, which is the subject of today's show. We're going to talk about the story, the production, we'll talk about the characters and actors in the movie, we'll talk about the plot of the movie, so if you haven't seen the movie, you should run out and see it first, because there will be some spoilers. We'll talk about the sequels, and we'll throw in a couple of other surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
do 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 do. The Lost Boys was a horror film from 1987 about an Arizonan family who moves to California and ends up fighting a gang of teenage vampires. It was directed by Joel Schumacher and starred Jason Patrick, Kiefer Sutherland, Corey Haim, Jamie Gertz, Corey Feldman, and Diane Weist. The title in the movie is actually a reference to J.M. Barry's Peter Pan. And if you've seen the movie at the play, you know that the people who hang out with Peter Pan are the Lost Boys. So the Lost Boys didn't start off the way it finished. The first screenplay was written by Janice Fisher and James Jeremias, and it was almost Goonie-like. It was about a bunch of 5th and 6th grade vampires. And the Frog Brothers in the movie were these chubby Cub Scouts. The producer of the film, Richard Donner, was originally tagged to direct this project about the kids, but production languished and he wasn't going to hang around forever, so he moved on and did another little movie you might know, Lethal Weapon. And eventually the movie came to the attention of another director, Joel Schumacher. Schumacher hated the idea when he first read it and said that he wouldn't work on it unless he could update the script and make the characters teenagers because he believed that that would make the movie more interesting. It was a go, and they started shooting. Now, of course, I could tell you a little bit more about the movie, but why not have one of the stars tell you? So here's Kiefer Sutherland talking about his role and how The Lost Boys came about. When I had first read the original screenplay for Lost Boys, I was a little concerned because the whole thing had been written really for 13 and 14 year olds to play it and it was Joel who kind of started to stretch some of the characters ages out so I would be 18 Jason Patrick was I think in his early 20s and so the picture got broader Um, it was also at a really young point in my career uh, when I certainly had not done enough work to get a sense of what was going to be good or what was going to be bad Uh, And so a lot of trust was required uh, between myself as an actor and a director. And Joel had such a fantastic sense of style um, that I remember knowing that this was going to be special. Uh, No one had costumes, no film at that time had costumes like that or had a look like that. And you could just see it. You could see it from the sets to the wardrobe uh, to the makeup uh, all the way down the line. And I remember being just amazed uh, to just see from from the original screenplay that I read to watching the movie that he was making, they were really two completely different entities. Uh, and that's when I started to realize the incredible power a director has. Thanks, Kiefer. Now, the majority of the film was shot in the city of Santa Cruz, California, and the amusement park scenes were shot at the world-famous Santa Cruz Boardwalk, which has an amazing arcade at the very end of it. I could spend days in their little retro corner of the arcade, and I, I think I have. Now, my Spanish ain't that great, but I think Santa Cruz in Spanish means Holy Cross, which is kind of interesting when you think about a movie about vampires being filmed there, and it makes you wonder why they didn't use that name or the real name of the town when making the movie. Maybe they were afraid they'd get sued by Santa Cruz because everybody would think it was infested with vampires, which it is. If you've never been to Santa Cruz, it's used as a location in a couple of other movies, The Brotherhood of Justice, another Kiefer Sutherland film, the movie Sudden Impact, Clint Eastwood movie, and the cult classic Harold and Maude. The thing about Santa Cruz is it was hit pretty hard in the 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake, 
and a lot of the locations that we actually see in the movie, the bandstand, the Frog Brothers comic shop, were destroyed in the earthquake. So we'll just go a little bit over the cast here. You had Jason Patrick in the movie as Michael Emerson, Corey Haim as Sam Emerson, Diane Wiest as Lucy Emerson, Barnard Hughes as Grandpa. Originally, they wanted to have Keenan Wynn or John Carradine play Grandpa, but Wynn died right before filming, and Carradine was too sick to take the role. Edward Herman played Max, Kiefer Sutherland, Big Star, played David, Jamie Gertz played Star, Corey Feldman played Edgar Frog, Jameson Newlander played Alan Frog, Brooke McCarter played Paul, Billy Worth, Dwayne, Alex Winter, Marco, Chance Michael Corbett played Laddie, the little kid, Alexander Bacon Chapman played Greg, Nora Morgan played Shelley, and Kelly Joe Minter played Maria. So now that you know the characters, the actors behind them, a little bit about the plot. The Emerson family, Michael, Sam, and Lucy, who's just divorced, moved to Santa Carla, California, which is a coastal California town that is not the best place to live. It is, in fact, plagued by gang activity and unexplained disappearances. The family move in with Lucy's dad, Grandpa, who's played by Barnard Hughes, who's an eccentric who lives on the outskirts of town and enjoys taxidermy. The town revolves around a boardwalk and amusement park, which is plastered with flyers of missing people, which makes you wonder why anyone would take their kids there in their right mind or want to live there at all, whatever. So Lucy gets a job at a local video store that's run by a very conservative guy named Max, very important character a little later on. Michael meets a girl who lives with a mysterious local gang run by David, played by Kiefer Sutherland. David is impressed with Michael and invites him to his gang's HQ, which is this hotel that was sunken by an earthquake. There he's put through an initiation that includes drinking blood from a wine bottle. He joins the gang and has to go through this other bizarre ritual where you hang under a railroad track while trains go by, and then he has to watch while people start falling one by one. Michael eventually falls, but then blacks out, wakes up, groggy, disoriented. Meanwhile, while that's all going on, Sam, the younger brother, played by Corey Haim, meets two other people around his age, the Frog Brothers, Edgar and Alan, played by Corey Feldman and Jameson Newlander. The name of the Frog Brothers, Edgar and Allen, is a reference to Edgar Allan Poe. They are self-proclaimed vampire hunters who give Sam horror comics to teach him about vampires. He thinks that's pretty funny and then notices his brother starts to develop the symptoms of vampirism. Sam turns to the Frog Brothers for help. They tell him he's got to kill Michael and through some twists and turns, suspicion turns to Max, the conservative guy from the video store. At this point, he has started dating the mother of the boys, and the Frog Brothers tell Sam that if he kills Max, then any vampire who has yet to kill anyone will turn human again. At a dinner party held by the mother, they put Max through a whole bunch of tests, including the use of garlic and holy water, which seem to indicate that he is normal and not a vampire. There's this rival gang that we don't know much about, the Surf Nazis, and David's gang of vampires attack them, make short work of them, and they try to get Michael to join in the feeding frenzy, which he resists. The next day, Michael, Sam, and the Frog Brothers go to the gang's lair with the intention of killing the vampires while they sleep. Staking one of the vampires wakes up David and the others, and the group barely manages to escape. 
but they do rescue Star and a little kid named Laddie, who was a child recently turned into a half-vampire. Classy. That evening, while Lucy is on a date with Max and Grandpa's out, the kids get ready to battle the vampires in Grandpa's house. David and the gang attack and are each killed in a really awesome way during this battle. Michael eventually faces off with David and ultimately impales him on a pair of mounted deer antlers. For some reason, though, Michael, having killed David, the supposed head vampire, doesn't turn back into a human. Max and Lucy, the mother, arrive, and we find out that Max is, in fact, the head vampire. He passed all their tests because of a technicality in the vampire world. If you invite one into your house, he has all sorts of superpowers. Max's objective all along was to bring Lucy to be the mother of his lost boys, much like Wendy in Peter Pan. His plan, of course, is thwarted by Grandpa, who has been aware of all these vampires all along, and comes crashing through the house with his jeep, impaling Max on the wooden fence posts he's carrying on the top, very conveniently. Michael, Star, and Laddie return to normal, and the film ends with Grandpa calmly retrieving a drink from the fridge, seemingly oblivious to the carnage in his house. He then says, One thing about living in Santa Carla I never could stomach. All the damn vampires. Wah, wah. Now, the movie didn't originally end on a joke. After the scene with Grandpa at the refrigerator, it was supposed to cut to the surviving Lost Boys regrouping in the sunken hotel. The last shot was a mural on the wall that was made in the early 1900s, sort of like the scene in The Shining, and it has Max in it, looking exactly the same as he did today. Now, all of that was in the original early draft of the script, but none of it was ever filmed. It would have allowed for David to continue, and we'll talk a little bit about plans for David that could have been. Michael and Sam have just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret. Notice anything unusual? about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. So where are you? The flying nun? I'm your brother, Sammy. Help me! Stay back! Stay back! What's happening to me, Star? Get yourself a good, sharp stick. Drive it right through his heart. You're a vampire, Michael. My own brother, a damn blood-sucking vampire. Oh, you wait till Mom finds out, buddy. When a vampire bites it, it's never a pretty sight. Michael, not So the Lost Boys perform really well at the U.S. box office, grossing over $32 million, which was pretty good for an R-rated horror film at the time. Its tagline, and you gotta love this, sleep all day, party all night, never grow old, never die. It's fun to be a vampire. That basically sums up a lot of the party culture of the 80s. Though praise was mixed for it on the critic side, overall it's a very well-reviewed film for what it is. It's not an A++, but it usually figures in as about a B on critic ratings. Maybe B-, minus, maybe C+. It won a Saturn Award for Best Horror Film in 1987, and it, along with Near Dark and 
Fright Night tried to give vampires an update and make them more applicable to modern audiences, which is the same thing that's going on in these Twilight books. One of the big appeals to The Lost Boys was the soundtrack. I find it interesting that movie soundtracks don't seem to figure into the success of them anymore because all the neo-vampires that I knew in the 80s really loved this soundtrack and were turned on to a lot of the artists in it through this soundtrack. So I'll tell you a little bit about the 10 tracks on the soundtrack. You had music by In Excess, Lou Graham, Roger Daltrey, Echo and the Bunnymen, Gerard McMahon, Eddie and the Tide, Tim Capello, Mummy Calls, and Thomas Newman. Thomas Newman wrote the original score for the movie. The music soundtrack, which is most of those songs in the 10 that I named above, were pop songs that were quite popular. And Good Times, which is a duet between In Excess and the former Cold Chisel lead singer Jimmy Barnes, actually reached number one on the Australian charts in 1987 before the movie came out. So it was a good one to build right in. Probably the most famous song on the soundtrack was a cover of The Doors' People Are Strange by Echo and the Bunnymen. After this movie came out, Echo and the Bunnymen jumped into my school seemingly out of nowhere and were really popular. For probably the next four years, people would show up, Echo and the Bunnymen this, Echo and the Bunnymen that. When Warner Brothers would make films back in the 80s, they would want a short novel made about the movie just to have a tie-in, make a couple extra bucks. The script at the time was given to Craig Shaw Gardner, and he wrote a paperback that was produced by Berkeley Publishing. 220 pages long, very collectible item. If you look around, you'll see that for a well-read copy, you can get about 20 bucks, and ones that are in really good condition are well over 100. The book has several scenes that aren't in the movie. It shows Michael trying to earn money for his leather jacket. It expands the role of the gang that gets killed pretty quickly, the Serp Nazis, and includes lots of little fun facts about vampire lore that aren't talked about in the movie. So if you see a copy at a garage sale, pick it up. Fun read, and then you could resell it probably for more than you bought it. So in 2008, there's going to be a sequel. Wildstorm decides to release a comic book about the Lost Boys. It's a four-part miniseries called Lost Boys, The Reign of Frogs, and the thing is supposed to be a bridge between the two movies. What we find out from Reign of Frogs, if this is considered canon, we find out that Michael and Star from the first film died in a car accident. We also learn, as many people have speculated, that David wasn't killed at the end of Lost Boys because all those antlers missed his heart, which allows for us to get to this next movie, which was a direct-to-DVD sequel that I actually saw and wished that I could unsee. It's just not a great movie and in no way captures that sort of magic. It does have Corey Feldman playing Edgar Frog and has a brief cameo by Corey Haim. Overall, not a worthy sequel. Back in the 80s, there was a talk of making a sequel based right off the movie, and it would have been called The Lost Girls, that would have picked up right at the end of where Lost Boys ends. Schumacher made several attempts at getting the sequel off the ground during the 90s, but all of them failed. In March of 2009, MTV reported that work had begun on a third film entitled The Lost Boys, The Thirst, and Feldman is the executive producer of that movie and will reprise his role as Edgar Frog, and supposedly Newlander will be returning as Alan Frog. Haim was not slated to be a part of the movie. Maybe they would have tagged something on like they did in the other sequel, but sadly he passed away in March 2010. If you like The Lost Boys... Stick to the original, 
maybe pick up the book. You can find the movie on DVD and Blu-ray. It is quite readily available and quite affordable. Vampire movies, vampire culture, air quotes, are going to exist as long as there are people who think they're cool. And they are cool. They're mysterious. They're always doing cool things. They're attractive. They're usually dressed in a really cool way that everybody looks at them strangely. So as long as there are movies and books and TV, there's always going to be some kids dressed as vampires. Does it pass? I think 99.99% of the time, people go through that phase and then they're done. Most of them are pretty embarrassed. I'm sure these new millennium vampires will look back at the 80s vampires or the 90s vampires or maybe even those mysterious 30s vampires. They would laugh and think, wow, those people look cheesy. Ten years from now, there's going to be some kids who are walking around as bald vampires or vampires with green skin. And they're going to laugh at these vampires now and go, wow, I can't believe people dress like that. It's almost a rite of passage. We all have to have our vampire phase from our youth. I've not seen the Twilight movies. have no real interest in it. But I've kind of seen the reviews online and The Lost Boy seems much more well received across the board by critics. So I guess with a certain amount of pride I can say that our silly vampire film is better than your silly vampire film. So there. to the show for more retro fun drop by the website at www.retroist.com you can follow me on facebook and twitter i'm at facebook.com retroist and twitter.com retroist there are two new sections on the retroist tv.retroist.com and games.retroist.com both that could use your submissions so drop by the site you look at the top and you'll see a submit button if you want to submit retro info about tv or video games there you can do that and of course just as always on retroist.com you can do the same if you want to talk about the great movie the lost boys or this podcast drop by the retroist forum at www.retroist.com forum thanks for listening to the show and i hope you have a great weekend This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.